Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast with Pastor John of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org. And please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. chronological gospels what would you do if i wouldn't have been here to finish it we would have been left on a cliffhanger we're only like two and a half three months well maybe four months away from the lord's crucifixion as we've been journeying through the gospels here in the last year and a half plus and since it's been two months since my neck injury and i haven't been able to teach Now, we're picking up where we left off, but I'm going to do a little review for you. I didn't have this in my notes two months ago, but I have it in there now. But we are in Lesson 57 of the Chronological Gospels. I titled this message, I Am. We're going to be all in John Chapter 8 today, but not the complete chapter we're going to finish off picking up in verse 37 and take it down through verse 59 so we're going to finish off the book of john the gospel of john chapter 8 today as this is where we're at in the chronological gospels i've explained this a lot but there are matthew mark and luke they're described as the synoptic gospels which basically means they have a lot of parallels a lot of repeated accounts of things that Jesus had done and then John stands off separately picking up things that the other gospel writers did not even address sometimes they all talk about the same thing uh, like the feeding of the 5,000 all four gospels pick that one up but John here we're in this period that really began in John chapter 7 verse 2 and it ends in John 10 verse 21 where we have two and a half months of Jesus and his life being recorded for us from the Feast of Tabernacles to the Feast of Dedication or Hanukkah as we know it today. And we have this two and a half month period from Tabernacles, which is kind of October, sometimes into November. And then, um, well, actually I said that wrong. It is September into late October, and then we get into Hanukkah. We know that usually that's the month of December. It can get in the last few days of November sometimes, but um, we have this recording of two and a half months in Jesus's life as found in John chapter two verses, uh, John chapter seven, verse two through 1021. And this really tells us that we are about between six to eight months out from Jesus being crucified upon the cross. So we're we're at that final end of his ministry, and John wraps up some things that the other gospel writers just do not tell us about. We learned in John 7 of Jesus's interaction with his brothers, the common people, the religious rulers of his day, We learned of Jesus crying out to thirsty people in need of salvation, saying, Come unto me, all you thirst, and I will give you drink. And yet the people debated over Jesus. Was he merely just a man, or was he the Son of God? Was he God incarnate? Soldiers were sent to arrest Jesus, and they came back to the religious rulers, and the religious rulers said, why didn't you bring him? And they responded, it's in John 7:46. no man has taught like this man before. They went to arrest Jesus and they were actually arrested by the words of Jesus. At the beginning of John chapter eight, we find that a woman had been caught in adultery and brought before Jesus. And Jesus caused the accusers of this woman to know the guilt of their own sin. And after they all departed, Jesus said to the woman, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I 
condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is John 8, 10 through 12. He declared then in verse 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows after me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And yet the Pharisees continued to contend with Jesus. Because of this declaration, they said, you testify of yourself. You bear witness of yourself. That means your testimony is not true. And so they were falling back on a law that came from the Mosaic law in Deuteronomy 19.15 that states, One witness shall not rise up against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every matter shall be established. So the Pharisees condemned Jesus, saying, You can't just testify of yourself. Your witness, your testimony is not true. But they did not understand that he was testifying in conjunction with the Father, his heavenly Father. Also, I might add, with the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. And although they tried to seize him, he slipped away from them because his time had not yet come. Jesus went on to point out to the religious rulers that we have two different origins. He said, you guys are from beneath. I am from above. And while he was from above, coming down from heaven and from God his Father, he went on to talk about being lifted up, a reference that he made referring to the cross itself, that if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And he was speaking about the cross that was coming, as I said, within six to eight months. So the Jews contended with Jesus, saying that they had never been in bondage to anyone. We haven't been in bondage to anyone. Now, physically, this was not true. They had, as a people, been in bondage to the Egyptians, their people for over 400 years, in bondage to the Babylonians, to the Medes and the Persians. They came under Grecian rule, and now they were under Roman rule. Physically, this was not true. They had been in bondage many times, and currently they were in bondage. But spiritually, this was also not true because Jesus talked about the spiritual bondage of sin that was upon all of them. And then he stated, and this actually catches us up, in the very last verse that I read nine weeks ago, John 8:36. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And that brings us up to the point of our study today. Picking up in John 8:37, I titled this as I said, "I am taking it from John 8:37 through verse 59, taking the rest of chapter eight. And we're going to see three points: the true children of Abraham, verses 37 through 40. If God were your father, verses 41 through 43, and if anyone keeps my word, verses. I said 43, my glasses, sorry. It's 41 through 47. If anyone keeps my word, 48 through 59. I have to get my eyes checked now. (laughs) It'll happen for those who, I used to brag about my keen eyesight. Not so keen anymore. It happens over time. Our first point, verses 37 through 40. Let's go ahead and read the context. In John chapter 8, verse 37, it says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. And I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. And they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said, if, Abraham, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. If you were Abraham's children, Abraham's descendants. And while Jesus acknowledged the Jewish people, their heritage in Abraham, he did not equate that heritage as actually being true children of Abraham. Descendants, a Greek word that speaks about something sown. It's about 
sowing seed, but also the offspring or a remnant of people. And while Abraham had two sons, only one was freeborn and the heir of his father's house. In Galatians 4, verses 22 and 23, Paul writes to us that Abraham had two sons, one by a bondwoman and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free Roman according to the promise. Like Ishmael, born according to the flesh, the unbelieving Jews have been born in bondage according to the flesh. And they sought to kill Jesus because they did not truly honor God. They said it was only by words, but not by deeds, not by actions. They did not truly seek to honor God. They were Jews by name only in the sense of true children of Abraham, but not in the spirit. And they did not recognize the truth concerning Jesus Christ. And Jesus and the unbelieving Jews were children of two different fathers. Jesus' father was God. And the father of the Jews, as we'll learn in verse 44, was Satan. In Romans 9, 6 through 8, picking up in the second half of verse 6, For they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are of the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as the seed. So even today, as believers in Jesus Christ, we become children of Abraham. We're become children of the promise. So they answered Jesus and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said, verse 39, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, Abraham did not do this. So they would do the works of Abraham. So what are the works of Abraham? I believe we can find this in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, where the Lord said to Abraham, actually, the Lord is talking, uh, this is right before when the Lord came with two servants with him, two angels, and in chapter 19, the two angels go down to Sodom and Gomorrah and deal with Lot and his offspring and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so the Lord is speaking to those two messengers that came with him and appeared to Abraham. And the Lord said to the two messengers, I have known him, speaking about Abraham, I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. So the works of Abraham, that they would keep the way of the Lord. We looked at this same verse on Wednesday, and Wednesday I said we'd be coming back to it on Sunday, and here we are. That they would keep the way of Abraham, that Hebrew word shamar for keep, can mean to hedge about, to protect yourself, uh, literally to hedge about with thorns. And it means to keep, to preserve, to guard over. We are to keep the way of the Lord. And there are many ways that we can keep the way of the Lord in our lives today. Years ago, it was, for me, the discovery of Christian radio and listening to Bible teachers on my way to work. I usually, when I was a brick mason, had at least an hour's drive to get to work, an hour's drive to get home. And so it gave me time to listen to Bible teachers. And then I discovered, well, initially, and this shows my age, I know, I discovered cassette tapes with uh, just the Bible being read. And so I could listen to the Word of God. Or then we updated and got really fancy with CDs. But today you can have it on your iPhone, your device your tablet whatever that might be and you can just carry that with you you can listen to the word of god there's been a little bit of transformation for me and it started when we went on vacation about four months ago um one of the persons that i almost religiously listened listened to talking about 
stuff going on in our world and I got in that habit during all the pandemic crisis and I just got in the habit of listening to this guy and uh, he lost one of his jobs so he wasn't accountable being on national TV to in that job I think it caused him to watch his language but once he lost that job he no longer lost, watched his language anymore. And so I even emailed him and said, you know, you probably testify of Jesus Christ more than any other commentator that I listen to, but your language has always been kind of on the edge and now it's just plain bad. And uh, so I just started listening to the word more. I would just like, in my heart, yesterday morning, I started listening to somebody. It was some show that was three hours long. It's like, oh, I'm not going to listen to that. And I was doing something that I could have occupied my time for three hours. But it's like, no, I don't want to hear that. What's Pastor Chuck have to say? I listened to a message on Pastor Chuck from uh, John 8 and the light of the world. I just listened to him teach the word. So you fall back to that. You Keep the way of the Lord. How do you keep the way of the Lord? The Hebrew word shamar is to hedge about as with thorns. You protect yourself by the word of the Lord, but also to do righteousness and justice. Two more Hebrew words for you. It's sadaka mispat. So sadaka for righteousness. It means to be righteous, to be blameless in conduct, to have integrity. And it's uh, both of these words, to do righteousness and justice, they're both legal terms. But sadaka, righteousness, translated as righteousness for us, and misfought, justice, it's a masculine noun that, noun that refers to a legal decision or a legal case. And so you're doing God's justice in your life. You're operating under the authority of the word of God in your life. Like Abraham, we should instruct our children to keep shamar, to hedge about with thorns, protect ourselves in the way of the Lord, that they may grow up, that we might also operate in the same way, sadaka mispat, righteousness and justice. If you recall Psalm 89:14, and these are the same two words, sadaka mispat, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Now, John the Baptist, about two and a half years earlier, already warned the religious rulers the fruitlessness of the Jews of his day. He said, do not claim Abraham as your father. This is what John said to them. And this was before Jesus began his earthly ministry. In Matthew 3, 8 and 9, Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not think to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children unto Abraham from these stones. Don't just keep bragging about your physical descendants, your heritage. Merely being physical descendants of Abraham did not automatically make them true children of Abraham. And the same is true for those who live here in the United States today. Although Christian faith has been a big part of the heritage of the United States, it just doesn't make us Christian because we've been born in this nation. In fact, this nation is changing rapidly. A survey was done in 2022. And the title of the survey is this, America's Christian majority is on track to end. And so reading, couple of paragraphs from this. Christians can make up less than half the U.S. population within a few decades. The study found that Christians accounted for about 90% of the population 50 years ago. I just kept reading that over again. 90% of the population 50 years ago. But as of 2020, they slumped to about 64%. So we still hold a majority, but we've lost quite a bit. If recent trends continue, switching, changing from one religious affiliation 
We project that Christians could make up between 35 and 46 percent of the U.S. population by 2070. So yeah, it's a long way off, but by 2070, we would be a minority of the population rather than a majority of the population. Americans who are religiously unaffiliated were projected to approach or overtake Christians by that number in 2070. And at the same time, the percentage of those following other religions was expected to double. So true faith comes by confessing our sin, believing in the works of Jesus Christ that he did upon a cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. True children of God keep his ways by doing righteousness and justice. In verses 41 through 47, we find, if God were your father, I pick up, I'll read the context. This Bible, I have to tell you, it's so light when I pick it up. <laughs> Truly following the doctor's orders here. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are your father. You are your father. You are of your father. Got to read every word. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because he because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. So they said, we have one father. God. So they went from being, we're children of Abraham, let's up at one, and now we're children of God. God is our Father. And Jesus said, God's not your Father. Satan's your Father. The devil's your Father. And you're doing the deeds of the devil. They were responding to Jesus' condemnation by questioning the legitimacy of his birth. And so, it is not strange to Scripture that um, Jesus was birthed, conceived out of wedlock. He was betrothed, not him, but his mother. Mary was betrothed to Joseph when she was found of child. So he was conceived out of wedlock. There was a question. She was gone for three months visiting Elizabeth and uh, the mother of John the Baptist. When she came back, it was noticeable that she was pregnant and he, Joseph, took her to be his wife. So they questioned the very legit legitimacy of Jesus' birth. They had a suspicion about who Jesus' true father was. And yet, they moved from calling themselves children of Abraham to children of God. And in 1 John 3.10, it tells us, In this, the children of God, the children are the children of the devil, are manifested. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So those who are not the children of God, they don't practice righteousness, and they don't love their brother. If they were truly Abraham's descendants, if they were truly God's descendants, according to Jesus, they would have done these three things. They would have loved him first and foremost. In John, 1 John 5, 1, the Word of God tells us, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is, not, is born of God. I threw the knot in there. I shouldn't have done that. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. Those who believe that Jesus is the Christ, they're born of God. They love Jesus. 
So they would have first, they would have loved Jesus. Second, they would have recognized his origins. Like Nicodemus, who came to Jesus at night in John 3, 2, said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who comes from God. No man can do these things that you do unless God is with him. They would have recognized his origins. They saw the miracles too, but they denied the message, the witness, the testimony that the miracles were presenting to the people. And third, they would have understood his teaching. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2.14, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, nor can they know them, because they are spiritually discerned. If they would have been truly the children of God, descendants of Abraham, they would have loved Jesus first. Second, they would have recognized Jesus' origins. And third, they would have understood his teachings. But the desire of their father, verse 44, their father, the devil, he was a murderer. He tells us from the beginning, he does not stand in the truth. He is the father of all lies. So let's break that down for a second. The unbelieving Jews were like the devil. They were like Satan. And it teaches us four things here about Satan. First of all, that he was a murderer from the beginning. Now, I don't know if that from the beginning... Sorry, I just hit my mic. Um, as I said that, I was thinking about I think it's taken us back, not before the creation, not before Genesis 1-1, because we have this in the beginning repeated a few times in Scripture. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning was God. And John 1 1 in the beginning was the word we have this beginning this time stamp that the word gives us the beginning of creation that he was a murderer from the beginning so we don't know what happened on the heavenly spiritual side except for we learn in Isaiah that Satan was cast out the five I will Satan statements of Satan that he was cast out of heaven but we do know that Satan Though he did not actually physically kill Adam and Eve, his lies manipulated them into eating the forbidden fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that caused, first of all, their spiritual deaths and eventually their physical deaths. A generation later, Cain would rise up and kill his brother Abel. Satan truly was his father. He was a murderer from the beginning. And here's another in the beginning, 1 John 3, 11 and 12, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Cain's works were evil, and he killed his brother because of that. But notice in 1 John 3, 12, that John wrote that Cain was of the wicked one. Was of the wicked one. He was of Satan. So he, Satan was, first of all, a murderer from the beginning. Second, he does not stand in the truth. We know that Satan came to Eve and manipulated her thinking. He said, has God indeed said? So he challenged the word of God. People today will challenge the word of God. Now it's our ability to shamar, to keep, to hedge about, protect ourselves, to do righteousness and justice, to be able to keep the word of God. But we'll be challenged like Eve was by Satan in the word of God today. He very, he challenged the actual word of God saying, has God indeed said, 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 said, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to fables. I just read this week of missionaries from the United States who had sent their missionaries over to Africa, so a particular denomination within the United States that's no longer 
following the truth of the Word of God. Maybe when the denomination originally began, they were right on. No longer, they they weren't walking in accordance to the Word of God. So after years of being in Africa and winning souls for Christ, the Africans started taking the Word of God and believing it as it is given. And then some of the heads of this denomination came over and contended with them about the beliefs, the theology of the Word of God, of God itself, of the Son of God, of the Spirit. There's all fancy titles for all these things. But they were contending because the Africans were actually believing what the Word of God says. And this denomination who had actually sent the missionaries over there to win them to Christ were challenging the things in the Word of God. And finally, one of the Africans said, if you don't believe the Word, why did you send missionaries over here to teach us the Word? If you don't believe it, why'd you send them? They're actually standing stronger in their faith than those here in the States today. So itching ears, they are within our churches today. Number three, Satan has no truth in him. Second Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10, it says, There is the coming of the lawless, none, lawless one according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, with all unrighteous deception among those who are perishing, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they, may not, that they might be saved. The coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, he's coming in accordance to the working of Satan, Satan has no truth in him, neither will the Antichrist. He'll come with power, signs, and lying wonders. And number four, Satan is the father of lies. 2 Corinthians 4.4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. He is the father of lies. He has blinded the people of this age. So 45 through 47 to finish out this section. He who is of God, Jesus said, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? Name a sin that I've done, basically, is what Jesus was saying. And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. So the contrast between the unbelieving Jews And Jesus speaking the truth and those who believe the words of Jesus, though they could not convict him of any sin, they refused to believe the truth. And that's happening today as well. Today, truth is relative. Whatever your truth is, that's good for you. And whatever my truth is, you have to agree with my truth that it's good for me unless my truth disagrees with your truth, then I can't have my truth. It's really bizarre the way things are going today. He was speaking truth, and if they were truly of God, they would have believed in him. 1 Peter 2.22 says, who has committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Again, in Hebrews 4.15, speaking about Jesus being sinless, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Here's another survey for you. Nearly 40% of generation or Gen Z, so this is from 1997 to 2012, and they're really, uh, the age group goes there ranging from age 11 to 26, but they're looking at the adults, so 18 to 25 is what they zeroed in on. Nearly one-fourth of Gen Z adults believe Jesus was a man who sinned like everyone else rather than the incarnate Son of God. So polling found that 38% of people ages 18 to 25 believe Jesus Christ was human and committed sins like other people. And the result is roughly in line with Gen X, 37%, Millennials, 35%, Baby Boomers, 35%. The one exception, 
we have a few exceptions here. Americans who are 77 years old and older, they were at 26%. And it said, it closed out saying, the 77 years and older are most likely to be Bible users of any generation. So 58% of the 77 years and older use their Bibles more than any generation. So we're not using the Word of God. We're getting, and this is a danger in the church itself too. I was thinking as we were singing today, and yesterday Bob and Dana and Kevin and myself, we were talking a little bit about music and worship leaders. And uh, it used to be that Christian hymns were really deep in theology. You sing, you sing, not sin, you sing old hymns from the 1800s and the early 1900s. You're going to come out of that memorizing these hymns, having really a sound, for the most part, theological base, foundation. Sometimes they got it wrong, but for the most part, they were sound in theology. The Christian music that's coming out today isn't necessarily sound in theology. It may lift us up, it may make us feel good, it may draw us to worship, but it probably often is not sound in theology. They're saying things in ways that really don't align in Scripture. And so we need to be aware of these things. But I, what I was going to say, that happens in music. Music is very influential. Um, it can happen through uh, text, through things that we see in our social media accounts and stuff that we may have a lot of knowledge, but we don't have depth of knowledge anymore. And it's dangerous. We need to, the works of Abraham, Genesis 18, 19, to keep the ways of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice. And the only way that you can learn to keep the ways of the Lord is by knowing the Word of God. If Jesus was a sinner just like us, then his death could not atone for our sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And true children of God believe that Jesus was without sin and that he came from God. And we close out our last section, verses 48 through 59. Then the Jews answered him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered, I don't have a demon. I honor my father and you dishonor me. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word... He shall not see death. And the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead. And the prophets. And you said, If anyone keeps my word, they will never taste death. Are you greater than Father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you do not know him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he sought and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself, went out from the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. He begins saying in verses 48 through 51, I honor my father. Unable to refute Jesus' condemnation of them, the Jews attempted to divert attention away from themselves and on to Jesus. Ad hominem, ad hominem. I don't say that one good, but it's critical thinking. It's a term that's used that when you get in trouble, when you're arguing with someone, you get in trouble. Name call. 
That's basically all it means. Ah, your father's the devil. You have a demon. That's all they're doing. Change subject, put it back on the person, not on yourself. So attacking the person's character rather than their argument. They first did this by calling him a Samaritan. They're basically calling him a half-breed. They already said, we don't know the origin of your birth, that you were conceived out of wedlock, which is true. But now they're calling him a Samaritan. Jesus didn't address this. But we do know in Isaiah 53.3, it tells us that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. We hid our face as it was from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Second, they said that he had a demon. They connected his words to the power of Satan and not to God. In Mark 3.22, they said, He has Beelzebub. By the ruler of the demons, he cast out demons. So this is something they've already accused him of. And Jesus denounces their false accusations by reminding them that he honors and seeks the glory of his father. And then he adds that he has power over death. In John 3.36, the word tells us, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, but he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. So the Jews, 52 through 53, they say, We know you have a demon because Abraham is dead. The prophets are dead. But is Abraham dead? Matthew 22, 31 and 32, it tells us, But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken, by, spoken to you by God? God saying, Matthew 22, 32, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And though Abraham may have been physically dead, Spiritually, he lived on in the presence of God. The prophets themselves, in Hebrews 11, 13, and 16, it talks about their physical death. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. Hebrews 11:16. They now desire a better, that is a heavenly country, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Though physically dead, their hearts were in tune with the spiritual realm. They sought a heavenly country. God prepared a city for them and for us. So being greater than Abraham and the prophets, Jesus offers now eternal life to those who would believe in him. John 11, 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. So they're talking about physical life and death versus that of the spiritual. And Jesus is pointing them, trying to point them toward the spiritual. 54 through 56, my father honors me, Jesus said. If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. But my Father honors me, of whom you say he is your God. So God brought honor to Jesus and ultimately glorified him through his work on the cross. In John 17, verse 1, Jesus prayed to God, saying, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may be glorified in you. When Jesus prayed, glorify your son, he's talking about the work of the cross. Father, work through me that I may bring glory to you. Now, Jesus seeing Abraham can be taken two ways. First, through the promised seed of Isaac. Being the seed of Abraham, seeing Abraham's day. Through the promised seed, Genesis 22:18. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because they have obeyed my Word. That's a promise that God gave to Abraham. But second, through the seven theophanies, Christophanies, that appear in the Old Testament to Father Abraham. I listed the seven out for you. In Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, we are given the Abrahamic covenant. 
In Genesis 12, verse 7, we find the Lord appearing to Abraham at Shechem. In Genesis 14, 18 through 20, we have Abraham and Melchizedek. In Genesis 15, uh, God appeared to Abraham when he was 85 years old. In Genesis 12, Abraham was 75 years old, so 10 years later. In Genesis 17, the Lord reaffirms his promise to Abraham. In Genesis 18, the Lord appeared to Abraham by the turbanth trees of Mamre. In Genesis 22, the Lord came to Mount Moriah. I'm going to read that one passage that I connected to that. I gave you all the scripture verses there in your note. But in Genesis 22, it's when the Lord called Abraham to take his son, his only only son, his only begotten son, and bring him to a mountain that I will show you. He went on a three-day journey. I think the three days is significant. For three days, to Abraham, his son Isaac was dead because God had told Abraham to sacrifice his son on the mountain that he would show him. Not only did he bring Abraham to a mountain, he brought him to Mount Moriah. And if you know Christian history, Jesus was crucified on Mount Moriah. And it was there on Mount Moriah that Abraham famously said to Isaac, Genesis 22, verse 8, My son, my God, will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went together, and God did provide the lamb, his only begotten son. And it is through Jesus Christ that all nations of the earth have been blessed. John 1, 29, Behold the Lamb of God, it takes away the sin of the world. We close out in verses 57 through 59. They talked about Jesus' age. You're not yet 50 years old. And you've seen Abraham. So at this time, Jesus was about 33. So some have theorized that just the stress of his life led him to look a lot older than he actually did. Years ago, many of you uh, remember the Alexicos. They attended the church. Jim and I were at a conference up north, and uh, in the church, they had a picture of the current president. I believe at the time it was Barack Obama. And uh, Jim was looking at the picture, and he said, man, they always age in those four years. And so he was just looking at, and it's kind of true, President Trump. Remember he had orange hair at the beginning? Six years later, his hair is white. Um, and I don't know if they were dying it to make it that weird color orange that he had, but um, it's totally white now. They do age, and stress can bring about that aging process. So some believe that maybe he looked much older than he actually appeared, and he was. Micah 5.2, O you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are of little and thousands of Judah, out of you shall come forth one, a ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. So, yeah, he's from everlasting. He's quite aged. But Jesus' response, before Abraham was, ego me is the Greek words, I am. Now, this reminded the Jews, I believe, of Exodus 3.14, when Moses Ask God, he's preparing Moses to go back to Egypt to deliver the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. And Moses asked God, who should I say is sending me? What's your name? And God responded, Exodus 3:14, I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you or sent me to you. By declaring I am, ego and me in the Greek, Jesus was equating himself to God the Father. The Jews knew this. That's why they picked up rocks to stone him. In John 19, 7, they'll say it again. We have a law. According to our law, he ought to die because he made himself to be the son of God. And yet Jesus slipped away. His hour had not yet come. Verse 59 tells us that he went out from the temple, through the midst of them, passed by them. We don't know how he did that, but he was not stoned. And I think that is significant. We'll look at it again one of these days. But 
The Jews have often tried to stone Jesus, but Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. It wasn't by stoning that he was going to die, but it was through the cross. He who is hung, hung on a tree, according to the Old Testament scripture, is a curse of God. And so it was necessary for Jesus to be crucified, one, because it shows that he was a curse of God. He put our sins upon him to bear our sins there on the cross, but also that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, both Jews and Gentiles. They were both involved in the death of Jesus. So the whole world brought condemnation against Jesus in that sense. So today we've seen the I am in John 8, 37 through 59. If you were Abraham's children, we learned there that the true children of Israel always keep righteousness and justice. In our second point, if God were your father, we find that the true children of God believe that Jesus was without sin and that he came forth from God. And finally, our last point, if anyone condemns my word, if anyone keeps my word, sorry, if anyone keeps my word, they are the true children of God because they're able to recognize Jesus as I am. And to know that true freedom, it's only found in Jesus Christ, the great I am. And Father, as the worship team comes, as we prepare to close in one last song, I pray, Lord, that you would be with us now. We've went through a lot. Your spirit can deal with us in various ways when we hear the proclamation of the word. I also know, Lord, that sometimes it's not the Bible teacher that convicts the heart, but maybe it's a, a verse that's read. Uh, maybe it's a song lyric that was sung. Maybe it's some conversation that the brothers and sisters have already had with one another this morning. Or maybe, Lord, some have already come with uh, the work of their spirit upon their hearts and they just need to get something right with you today. They've arrived to church with the condition of the heart in that way and they're ready to surrender now. I pray that you'd work in this hour, Lord. Pray for those who hear on the radio, listening either on the radio, watching through video, or at a later time. Let your spirit work among us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's been a blessing to be with you today, and I pray that God would bless you, and that he would keep you, and that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless you.